All right, so uh, this morning we'll continue working through an Orthodox Catechism by Hercules Collins. Um, so we're still in the second part as it deals with man's redemption um, and specifically uh, God the Son. So we'll, we'll work through these and if you remember sort of that, um, those pillars of our study um, are, 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 are guilt or condemnation our redemption and the proper response to that redemption is thanksgiving or gratitude. And so we're in the redemption portion of this study. So we'll try and hit uh, question 39 through 41, which we should be able to do, um, and just sort of have conversation around the topic here, the question, the answer, and the verses. So let's start by reading question 39. Let me have someone read question 39 and then someone read the answer. No, we don't. So question 39 and then have someone read the answer. Matt? Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself unto death? Answer. Because the justice and truth of God provide no other means to be satisfied for our sins but by the very death of the Son of God. Okay. Now, as you remember, as we've been working through the uh, catechism here, we we looked at the Apostles' Creed uh, for a couple of weeks there. And these following questions after the Apostles' Creed are sort of drawing out statements in the Apostles' Creed and explaining them with scripture references. And so this week um, we'll deal with the uh, humiliation or death of Christ humiliation unto his death. Um, Now, in his commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism, Yosinus wrote that the death of Christ is grounded in the justice that God demands. Now, let's think about that for a sec. How, uh, if if you would agree with this or not, how, why do you think uh, he would say that the death of Christ is grounded in the justice of God? What's the connection between the death of Christ and the justice of God? What are your thoughts on that? Anthony? Well, um, because God revealed that uh, if you sin, you break his Hmm. holy law. uh, Death ensues. And and the wages of sin is death. And so um, God said if uh, if you you sin against him, there has to be blood atonement. Yeah. And and Christ satisfies our blood atonement uh, of our sins for his people. Right. Yeah, yeah, well said. Anybody want to add to that? Any other thoughts on that? It has to do with the holiness of God. Hmm. The holiness of God demands that justice be right out of its sin. Yeah. It has to come somewhere in order to show mercy and redemption to the people. That had to come. Yeah. Yeah, so it deals with the, the nature and the character of God, his perfections, his holiness, his justice, his righteousness. That's right. The holiness of God, to your point, John, the holiness of God requires justice be served. So God is so holy that he cannot even look upon sin. His pure, holy nature means that he is uniquely distinct. In other words, he's unlike anything else in creation. There is nothing outside of God that is like God. But God's holiness cannot be separated from his justice. 
Now let's look at a few verses here. Um, first, Isaiah 6, 3. Let me have someone go to Isaiah 6, 3. And then someone else, well, who, who wants Isaiah 6, 3? Who wants to grab that for us? All right, Brian, and then 1 Samuel 2, 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. Who wants to grab that? Sabrina? And then, um, yeah, so we'll, let's read those two, and then I'll go to uh, Exodus 34. So Isaiah 6, 3. Isaiah 6.3 And one called to another and said Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts The whole earth is full of his glory Alright, so we see this sort of uh, threefold uh, exclamation of the Lord's holiness Holy, holy, holy um, It is interesting, although we know that God is just that he's patient, kind, merciful um, we don't see um, just, just, just as the Lord, although he is just. Righteous, righteous, righteous is the Lord, although he is righteous. But we see holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Uh, for his justice is holy. His mercy is holy. Even his wrath is holy. This is all uh, tied to God's holy nature. Um, and then second, or rather, First Samuel 2.2. 2. Sabrina, you want to read that for us? You know, in this verse, the holiness of God is tied to God's steadfastness. There is no rock like the Lord. Um, there is none besides you. There is no God holy like our God. There is no God besides God. There is no God holy like our God. Um, in Exodus 34, 6 through 8, when the Lord proclaimed his name to Moses, um, and you can turn there, turn to Exodus 34, verses 6 through 8. We're going to read this together. Exodus 34, verse 6 through 8. In Exodus 34, verse 6 through 8, when the Lord proclaims his name to Moses, what's interesting about this passage is that he proclaims his nature. He proclaims who he is. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And this is what he says. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. The Lord proclaims his name, but he proclaims his nature. He proclaims his character, who he is. Your sentence again says, Sin is an evil of such magnitude that according to the order of justice, it merits and demands the destruction of the sinner. For the reason that that which is an offense against the highest good can only be expiated by the most severe punishment and extreme destruction of the sinner. So we see in these words, and I think we see in scripture as well, that to your point, John and Anthony, and sin must be dealt with. I've heard this sort of analogy that, um, you know, if you walk into a, 
you know, Starbucks or a, a store and you uh, assault the, the clerk there or the cashier, you, you punch them, they might call the police and it's a battery charge and then you might go to jail. Uh, but if you somehow get into the White House and find your way to the president and you punch him, uh, the punishment is going to be much, much more severe. Uh, because the, the, the stature, sort of the, 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 the nature of the office of that person, in some sense, determines the punishment. Uh, but against God, it is eternal. Why? Because God is eternal. Because it's an offense against our creator, our, our king, our Lord, God, who is mighty and triune. So it's not like offending someone at the store, but it's an offense against our holy God. Because he is eternal... It's an eternal offense. Even one sin, therefore, it requires eternal judgment be carried out on the sinner. Right? So that if you follow that, that logic there, it makes, makes sense. Now, the death of Christ, as we, we think about this, this, um, this question, why is it necessary for Christ to humble himself unto death? The death of Christ isn't just arbitrary. Christ, the second Adam, was fulfilling what the first Adam failed to do. In his active obedience, Christ commits perfect conformity to God's law throughout his life. But in Christ's passive obedience, he is also enduring the death that Adam earned for us. He endured a lifelong suffering which climaxed in his crucifixion on the cross. The death of Christ was necessary because the wages of sin is death. <clears throat> so this wasn't just some sort of thought up uh, backup plan. Uh, the death of Christ is necessary. And we can see what Adam failed to do by looking, what, looking at what Christ did. And we can see what Adam earned for us negatively by looking at what Christ suffers in our place. <clears throat> he is called the second Adam for a reason. Um, he fulfills what the first Adam has failed to do. Now let's look at a, a few other scripture references. So these come straight out of an Orthodox catechism. I want to I wanna look at them. Um, Genesis 2.17. Let me have someone read Genesis 2.17 for us. Matt, thank you. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Thank you. So note that language again. This is a verse that we're probably familiar with. But the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The violation of God's holy and good commandments necessitate the death of the transgressor. Adam transgressed God's command and passed on his debt, his sin, his, his guilt to all mankind. Second, uh, or rather 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, for in Adam, what? All die. For in Adam, all die. Uh, Adam as the man who is the representation of all humanity. All of humanity is found in Adam, and Adam all died. Um, Philippians 2.8 says, 
And being found in human form, Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then let me have someone read Hebrews 2.9 for us. Okay, thank you. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Okay. And we know from what we see in the rest of scripture, we can qualify the taste death for everyone by uh, defining everyone as all the elect, all those who are in Christ, all those whom the Father has uh, predestined to give to the Son as his reward. Right? So a part of Christ's humiliation, as this uh, question and answer points us to, is uh, this humiliation is his agony unto death. Um, his agony unto death. Uh, your sinus again says, Christ now assumed our place and took upon himself the person of those who had sinned and deserved death, not only eternally, but also temporally. So Hebrews 2, 14 to 18 says this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. How do we define propitiation? What's a simple sort of pithy way to define propitiation? Appease the wrath of God. Wrath bearing substitute. Right. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And so in Hebrews 2 there we see that uh, Christ's uh, priesthood requires death. It required suffering. Uh, so these ideas about Jesus that um, he didn't really have to suffer or he simply suffered as a good example, sort of this good Samaritan theology that it wasn't necessary, but it was good. It was something that we should sort of follow. We see in scripture that the suffering and death of Christ is essential to the salvation of the believer because Christ indeed suffers in their place. If Christ does not suffer in their place, then there remains suffering that they have to endure themselves, not just temporally, but eternally. Um, and it is a mystery how uh, in a matter of, of hours, Christ suffers the full uh, weight. He drinks the full cup of God's wrath for every believer throughout this age and and that those moments he endures all of that for every christian every person who has ever believed it is it is beyond what we can comprehend it is it's a mystery but the scriptures give us that encouragement uh, let's turn to romans chapter 3 we're going to look at uh, verses 21 to 26 romans chapter 3 verses 21 through 26 
Now, in Romans 3, um, the spirit of the Apostle Paul gives us sort of this uh, divine explanation for the sufferings and death of Christ. It gives us the why behind the what. Um, So let me have someone start in verse 21 and read down through verse 26 in Romans chapter 3. George, go for it. Thank you. But verses at the end of verse 25 and verse 26 there, <clears throat> it says what? It was to show God's what? <clears throat> his forbearance. His righteousness, right? It was to show God's righteousness. Um, and to that, your point, Anthony, there, this righteousness and his forbearance, which means he, uh, he doesn't, sweep sin under a rug but he was forbearing he was suffering long he was bearing long right his long suffering his patience there and then verse 26 it was to show again god's righteousness so the death of christ burial of christ the suffering of christ shows the it upholds the righteousness of god it upholds again his holy character and he is shown to be just and justifier so just and justifier um, what does this mean what does that mean that god and his righteousness is both just and justifier what are your thoughts on that <clears throat> he had a subtle hand in the back <laughs> Just means he's still not compromising his holiness. Right. He's just. He doesn't let anyone have their sin take a pass. He's just because someone paid the price. It was somebody. Yeah. Um, whether it be someone in hell who suffers or for the believer, Jesus suffering in some else's place. Either way, the debt is paid somehow. Yeah. And so he's just in condemning his son because now his holiness is not compromised. Yeah. And he's the justifier because he's making other people in right standing mm. for him. So he's justifying Yeah. So yeah, that's good. Well said. Anthony, you want to add to that? No, he said it perfectly. Uh, in, in justifier, we say that it shows that God is the one who sovereignly elects. Mm. Yeah. That's all. That's good. That's good. You stole all of Anthony's shine. <laughs> <laughs> Well said, yeah. <clears throat> Just and justifier. I think it was um, uh, Samuel Renahan in some work, some, one of his books I was reading. He said, um, the justice uh, or holiness of God, or justice of God, the same justice of God that must 
condemn sin must approve righteousness. So God uh, does not punish again after Christ has absorbed the full cup of God's wrath. Uh, because one is declared righteous and justified, God must approve righteousness according to his own holy standard. Right? He does not compromise on his own holy standard. <clears throat> okay, good. All right, let's uh, jump to our next question here. Question 40. Let me have someone read the question and answer to question 40. Crystal? <clears throat> question 40. To what end was he buried? Answer, that by it he might manifest that he was dead indeed. Yep, that's it. <laughs> and he was dead indeed. Yep. <laughs> so this question is, of course, uh, connected with the last question. The second person of the Trinity took to himself human nature, uh, body and soul, in order to die. This may appear obvious to us, but this was debated and centuries past. <clears throat> Just a quick uh, history uh, survey of uh, heretics in history. Um, I find these interesting, so I like to point them out. Um, Marcionism, uh, named after Marcion of uh, Sinope, was one early heretical movement that denied that Christ truly did die. This false teaching would affirm that the whole idea of the word become flesh and all those things that Christ endured for us was imaginary. They had they said that he had only appeared or he, he had only the appearance of a man. Now, there's more in that than, than that. But that was that's the, the long and short uh, that he had really the appearance of a man that he was not. Uh, truly man, as we would uh, confess, but that he, he only had the appearance. The Nestorians um, are followers of Nestorius. Well, this is uh, second, third, fourth century. This was another early heretical movement that denied the scriptural teaching about Christ. Um, the Marcians denied the true humanity of Christ. Nestorians emphasized the disunity of the human and divine natures of Christ. They would affirm that Christ essentially exists as two persons sharing one body. Now, what do we confess? <clears throat> they would say he is two, um, two uh, persons uh, sharing one body. We would say Christ is what? Right. Say it with confidence. <laughs> right. Uh, Christ is truly divine and truly human and, uh, and his the divine and human nature in one person. So they would completely separate his divine and human natures and see this, um, we would say, some dis disformity in their theology about uh, Christ, their, their Christology. Uh, the second London Baptist Confession of Faith speaks of Christ and says this, he endured extremely heavy sorrows in his soul and extremely painful sufferings in his body. Um, recognizing uh, what scripture teaches about our Lord, that he is truly God and truly man. 
Um, Christ was not given merely the shell of a man to, to appear that way. Uh, Hebrew says, a body you have prepared for me. Uh, yes, this is a, a mystery of how uh, a virgin can uh, conceive through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's not something we can wrap our minds around, but scripture teaches and affirms that, that Christ was born of a virgin, conceived in the womb of a virgin by the power and miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Um, a body has been prepared for him. Uh, truly man, body and soul. James Renahan, in his commentary on the Second London Baptist Confession writes, in his state of humiliation, there was no escape from the realities of life or the torturous death by crucifixion. These sufferings affected the whole man. He died very truly body and soul. He died very truly body and soul. Now let's look at a few verses as we think about this, this uh, question. Um, Genesis 3.19. Turn, turn to Genesis 3.19. Now, again, we're thinking about the question, to what end was he buried? That by it, he might manifest that he was dead indeed. He was buried to show that he actually died. Genesis 3.19. Let me have someone read that for us. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Okay. And to dust you shall return. Now this was part of the punishment and curse of Adam. Adam had earned uh, this fall, or in in the fall, um, sin, guilt, death, a returning to the dust for all his posterity. To the dust you shall return. Adam was not created to go to the dust. Man was created for eternal, immutable glory. Um, This was not um, uh, God's uh, 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 design for man to return to the dust. For man to taste dust is part of the curse. And so as the resurrection of Christ from the grave is a part of his glory, so his death and burial are necessary for the glory which he would bring the believer into. We were not meant to to die. Uh, uh, Christ has earned for us that which Adam failed to earn, uh, eternal, immutable glory, a fixed, eternal, immutable standing as righteous before God. Uh, This was held out to Adam, but he failed to achieve it because he sinned against God's commands. So to the dust you shall return. Uh, Christ goes to the dust. Uh, Matthew 27, 59 to 60. Uh, let me have someone go, to, go there. Matthew 27, 59 to 60. And then someone else go to Luke 23, 53. So who wants Matthew 27, 59 to 60? Matt, all right. And then Anthony, you want to take Luke 22, 53? So again, we're thinking about this question, to what end was he buried? 
<clears throat> Matthew 27. Thank you. Okay, and then Luke 23. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb and cut it to rock where no one had ever been. Okay, so according to Jewish custom, Jesus was buried after or for three days. Um, this was to confirm and prove that he was truly dead. John 19:38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. So we have uh, scriptural uh, proof and, and evidence that uh, Jesus was actually uh, he died, he was taken away, he was, he was buried. Um, Acts 13, 29. When he had, and when they had carried out all that was written of him, sorry, when, and when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. This according to Jewish custom. Um, listen to uh, uh, your sentences again. His sort of poetic language as he explains Christ's grave burial. He says, "He would be buried." that he might not be terrified, or that we rather might not be terrified in view of the grave. He was buried that we might not be terrified in view of the grave, but might know that he has sanctified our graves by his own burial, so that they are no longer graves to us, but chambers and resting places in which we may quietly and peacefully repose until we are again raised to life. Christ takes all that Adam negatively earned for us and turns it into something that ultimately serves the redeemed sinner. Our resurrection glory and joy came at the great cost of Christ or at great cost to Christ. Even the sting of the grave has been taken away. Now let's look at uh, Hosea 13, 14. <clears throat> I'm going to steal some Aranshan in a few weeks. Hosea 13, 14. So we're just going to flip through some of these verses here. Hosea 13, 14. In Hosea 14, 13, 14, the Lord speaks of the deliverance that he'll bring to his adulterous people. And he uses this interesting language. He says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Does that sound familiar? Right? Isaiah 25, 8 says something similar. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces sounds familiar as well right we see this language in the new testament the spirit through the apostle paul he takes these words and he applies them to the redemption of the sinner the grave from which christ ultimately delivers his people the grave that we lay in with our father 
Adam is now a place that points to our redemption. We have been buried with Christ and we will be raised with him. So the sting of death is, is taken away. Uh, that which Adam earned for us, that, that, that grave which he earned for us, Christ now turns into really a, a transition point for the uh, sinner to take full, uh, to fully realize the glory which Christ has purchased for them. 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. This has been taken away. Now, this leads us to the last question this morning. Um, See if we can squeeze this in. Let me have someone read uh, question and answer 41. Who wants to read that for us? Go for it. But since Christ died for us, why must we also die? Answer. Our death is not a satisfaction for our sins, but the abolishing of sin and our passage into everlasting life. Okay. The question asks, well, Christ died, so why is it, why do we have to die if he has died for us? Uh, John 15, 24. Let me have someone read that. John 15, 20, I'm oh, sorry, John 5, 24. Who wants to read John 5, 24 for us? Okay, go for it. Okay. Now notice this past tense language. He has passed from death to life. When one believes the glory of their salvation is so secure, Scripture can speak of it as something that has already taken place. When they are regenerated, they are transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the sun and light. That's what Colossians tells us. They experience the benefits of union with Christ in this life, and they will be brought into the full realization of that union when they are finally glorified with Christ. So, why must we die? Yesinus again says, We do not die for the purpose of satisfying the justice of God, but that we truly receive the benefits purchased by the death of another, that sin may be abolished, and a passage or transition be made unto eternal life. So we do not die to satisfy the justice of God as Christ has. We still die because God is holy and because God swore to Adam that he would die and we are in Adam, but we do not die to satisfy the justice of God as Christ has. Um, Romans uh, 7, 24 to 25 it says, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, death is, physical death is necessary to be delivered from the body of death. Um, Philippians 1.23, Paul says, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that would be far better. Death finally brings an end to our misery in this life. Uh, you, you ever feel that sort of tension between the two? Uh, to be with the Lord and to enjoy 
sinless, unbroken fellowship with God and to stay uh, or the struggle of leaving loved ones. <clears throat> Paul has some, some sense of this, this, this struggle, uh, the, that struggle that we daily endure in wrestling against remaining sin in a fallen world. Christians entrust themselves to the timing of God and their death, but we long for that great day to be fully and finally redeemed. Paul was torn, pressed, he says, between departing and staying to further edify his fellow pilgrims. <clears throat> we die because God told Adam that he would die when he ate of the tree, which he told him not to. We die because we are in Adam by nature. But as Christians, we also die because death ushers us into the fullness of what Christ has purchased for us. And for that, of course, the rightful, uh, right and, uh, rightful and great, grateful response is gratitude. Um, it's, it's thanksgiving, really, um, which we'll, we'll look at in the next sort of section in the catechism here. <clears throat> I know this, uh, as we, you deal with the, 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 the death of Christ, I think even when, when we think about it, when we talk about it, when we evangelize, we can... Uh, talk about Christ's uh, his perfect life, his, his death, his burial, his resurrection. But in the burial and the death of Christ, there's, there's so much uh, that is accomplished for, for the Christian. There's so much for us to take, take joy in. Um, it was the most uh, gross sin ever committed in humanity against our Lord. And yet in that, that time of humiliation, and the agony of Christ is the height of our salvation, um, that Christ was buried, that he actually died, and he had to be man in order to die, in order to satisfy God's righteous requirement that the sinner must die. And so we, we thanks be to God for his, his kindness to us in that. Um, okay, I'll, I'll close there. It's about 10.05.